It's time for building the game. Building the game. With Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, May 10th, and you're listening to episode 468. As always, I am your host, Jason. Here today, joined by special guest, Matthew Hocker, designer of composition and the now on Kickstarter Bittersweet. Uh, Matt, how you doing? How you doing, Matt? I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I had a fantastic meal before I came onto the show, so I'm just, I'm, I'm just great at all levels right now, all that's, the necessary that's levels. Awesome. I need to be at. <laughs> that's awesome. That's uh, awesome. We, uh, we had you on the show. Gosh, was it? It was early pandemic, right? It was back in 2020, it, early 2020, I believe. I think it was. I feel like it was right oh. before the pandemic hit. I think it was, it, I think it was before. Yeah, it was just before and as I know that because we talked a ton about Animal Crossing. Yes. Uh, which is actually I think how I met you online was because of Animal Crossing because we were both super into it at the time. Yeah. Um yeah. So, yes. Oh, Animal Crossing. Oh do you, gosh. Uh, do, do you ever do you ever play Animal Crossing anymore? Or you know, you... I, I've I, I've gone back to it a couple times, but I think at this point I'm I'm waiting for them to give the 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 ultimate update where we finally get that pigeon cafe with um yes, I, for, yes. I forget I forget his name but yeah I, I I want that in there once that comes back yeah. I'll be I'll be back in it but I I had to, I had to take a break because I needed to do other things with my life right right yeah no I played I played a good like three hundred hours of that game and then was yes. like okay I need to then my kids got really into it I built them uh, I built them houses on the island and they got really into it. Um, we went back for a little bit for the Super Mario thing, mm-hmm. um, but the Super Mario thing, I feel like I would have been more excited about if I had it already built my island. I probably just would have built an entire Super Mario island. Yes. But we did so much work to the island that I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, you know, you know the, the coolest thing about that update was the pipe because you can yes. make an island on your yep. island. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you can separate it from everything else. Like this weird yep. place you can yep. teleport to. That was the coolest thing. Right, um, right. I actually didn't even think about that. That because my I actually my house is on an island on my island, but there's a bridge to it. But oh man, if I'd have thought of that, I would have uh, I would have totally changed that to have to go through t- a pipe. Yeah, <laughs> time for another three hundred hours. Yeah, let's roll. <laughs> we what we did as a family when we played the little bit when that came out was we put one on each side of the island, like each opposite corner of the island. Mm-hmm. so that if you needed to fast travel to the other side of the island, you could just yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of nice. Um, mm-hmm. But it's random, which is kind of a bummer. Like, if you could assign them, I would have put one at all four corners of the island and then had them all feed right into, like, right by the uh, right by the shops and stuff. That would have yes. been nice, like the downtown area. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, speaking of Nintendo, because this is a, a sort of talking about game design, did you see the new game they announced? It's a game design game. It's no, really, inter- really? It's, it's really interesting. Um, you're going to hear some clickety clack when I type this in. Uh, but I, I, I was fascinated by this. Um, so it's a, like you're designing. Um... It's called, uh, let's see here. It's called Game Builder Garage. And it's it's like a game that's also a tool that helps you design video games. And I think they teach you like the bare, allegedly, they teach you the bare bones of coding and they kind of get you started on the fundamentals. And so it's like a teaching tool, but it's like kind of 
I feel like it's the next level above uh, Super Mario Maker. Mario Maker. That's what I was just going to say. My kids yeah. are super into Mario Maker right now. And this feels like one level above that. I'm yeah. going to have to buy this. Uh, yeah. I think this looks cool. And my kids will be super into it. But I, I feel like I feel like, you know, it's what I, I'm really curious about is because like, I, I, I do think there it, there's there's a surprising amount of overlap between game, even though there's a, a, a ton of differences. There's a lot of overlap between video game design and game design in general, especially Absolutely. on tabletop. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious to see what sort of fundamentals can be taken from this or what lessons can then be applied to, uh, you know, game design on, on the table. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. And it's only twenty nine bucks, too. Oh, wow. So it's not even. Um, it's not even like a $59 game. That's exciting since I feel yeah. like they all are. Um, it, it is true though. Like, you know, we talked about this, um, gosh, I don't remember. I think it was two episodes ago we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It was two episodes ago. I had Nat Levan and Josh Mills on and Josh works mm-hmm. in video games and you know, all of us, so many things we've been doing are online and we're talking about the things you miss, you know, when you're like physically, um, in a room with someone playing a board game mm-hmm. and you know, one of the things we were talking about was positives and negatives to the things you can do online, like that you can kind of program in that you can't do. And, um, and I was talking about how scoring, you know, in some games was easier in the app than it was in the real game. And Josh said, well, it's because it's a poorly designed game, a poorly designed board game. That's why scoring is hard in the board game. And they just make up for it with the online version. And it, in it, I think this falls back to that where there are a lot of similarities and it's knowing the strengths and weaknesses of either, right? Knowing mm-hmm. what's going to work better as a uh, as a board game and what's going to work better as a digital, you know, analog to digital kind of thing. Uh, right. No, I'm. This is really interesting. Thanks for pointing this out. I had no idea. Um, yeah. I haven't been playing my Switch enough lately, apparently. So I'm gonna have to I, get a hold of this game. Yeah, I just I just Do found out okay. about this today, so this is like good timing. To- to bring it up, yeah, I was like, "Whoa, yeah. a game design game, sweet, nice." Um, I'm waiting for the tabletop version of that, where I design a board game in the board game. I mean, that are, I'm sure that already exists, and I just don't know about it. I mean, other than like you know, tabletop simulator, but like, yeah, I would yeah, like a yeah, switch yeah. version of that. That'd be yeah. great. That would be wild. That would be amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I'd be all about that. It would, you know, it would work better than TTS. So um, yeah, because you know, <laughs> so does tin cans, but. I, I just oh, couldn't could imagine. I couldn't imagine like playtesting a game on Tabletop Simulator, and someone comes in they're like, "Hey, I'm playing on my Switch," and I'm like, "What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you're on my tel- your game's on my television. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, all right. I just imagine being like, yeah. Uh, can you just have to click uh, the left mouse button? Oh, yeah. So I'm using a Switch. Uh, where, what button is that on the Pro Controller? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I press F to flip. I, <laughs> I don't have that letter on my controller. Is uh, it Y or X? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. That is great. <laughs> so something that I was into recently that I wanted to uh, mention was, so I just got a 3D printer. I've been talking about this for a while. Uh, speaking of game design type things, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. the goal is to use it to make game components, but also like I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to make some things that I can, that I can possibly sell to just kind of recoup the costs of the whole printer because they're not cheap. Uh, which is too bad. Um, but I ended up with some, my friend uh, Ryan uh, Metzler helped me pick out uh, a really good one and get a good deal mm-hmm. on it. And uh, so basically for the last three days, that thing has been humming nonstop. Uh, this nice. is actually the first time I've really shut it down because I'm recording. Uh, 
and I know that my microphone would be picking up in the background, which doesn't make for great podcasting. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Have you played with blender at all? I, I haven't. Okay. I haven't. Oh, okay. But um, yes, I know that. Yes. Yeah. I know that that's something a lot of people use for now. So far, I've just been downloading pre-generated models that people have made mm-hmm. and then doing some tweaks to them in um, in Prusa Slicer, which is the um, okay. uh, the program. It's the proprietary software that, that you can download to use with the, the Prusa printer. So, yeah. T- tabletop game design. Game design is just amazing because it feels like you have to be uh not, not a master but you have to be fairly competent at, at all things and things it's, you've never it's you never awful expect. right like <laughs> <laughs> it's it's awful and great at once like there's so yeah, many yeah, cool yeah, yeah. things that are so useful and i want to learn them all but also right, i have right. to learn them all <laughs> right, so it takes right. time and um you know now like like blender feels like the next big thing and a lot of the communities i'm in it's like you know now it's like download blender learn blender and start doing cool stuff with it and you know right, you see right. one person do one cool thing with it, and, you're, and that little voice in your head goes, "You could do that cool thing." And then right, pretty right. soon you're fiddling around Blender, not having any idea what you're doing, trying to make like a little figurine for, for your 3D printer right, right. Tab- or tabletop simulator. It's like, ah, I gotta know everything. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's something that we've talked about, you know, before. Where like like you know Rob, who used to be on the show with me, he he was really good graphic designer, right? Um, he would tell you he was just okay, but he, he's really good. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, like I, we always talked about, I was, I was like, that gives you such an advantage in some parts of prototype creation, right. That you can just yeah. like make icons and do stuff, you know? And, um, so until I finally was like, oh, I can join the noun project. I can use gameicons.net. Like right. now I have nice looking prototypes because I know how to do the things. Right. Um, but like, yes, you really, as a game designer, you kind of have to be like a jack of all trades, you know, like where you really start to know a little bit about a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and being hyper specialized in one thing is only good for basically being good at that one thing and then helping other people who might be good at another thing. And then you mm-hmm. can help each other. Right. Yes. It's like, it's just, it's so valuable yeah. to, to know a little bit of everything. Not, not to mention really just is. like, uh, you know, I can tell you after my first game, like knowing a little more about graphic design, illustration on the art front, it makes conversations a thousand mm-hmm. times easier Yep. because yep. there's everyone has, everyone has a different background. Everyone has a different way of communicating, you know, what they know. And if you don't know anything, uh, you're, you're, you're just, they're just staring at you. Like, what are you talking about? And you gotta, you have to learn a little, a little bit of that, that sort of, uh, context mm-hmm. to apply those things better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is a lot of things about learning the languages, right? That people are speaking in their respective trades as your, that, that, that specific terminology can be, it can be tough, like to know, you know, like what you're, uh, what you're talking about. I mean, just for instance, getting this 3d printer, I've wanted one for years. And Mm -hmm. every time I talk to somebody about it, they'd be like, okay, so I I, read this stuff. So I'd start to read it. I would just, my eyes would glaze over and I was like, I don't get it. right? Right. And then I downloaded my first file and I was like, okay, I'm ready to print it. And my friend Ryan's like, well, no, you have to slice it first. And I'm like, oh gosh, like, what is that? And he's like, no, 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 pull it in this program, click this button and make sure it's orientated the right way. And then like, boom, it did it for you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's not bad. And now, I mean, I've 3D printed in the last three days, I've 3D printed some little toy Pokemon things for my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple of these Benchy boats that people do that just to kind of calibrate stuff. Oh, yeah. 
uh, a laptop stand, uh, which is sweet because it's got my laptop now like knife edged behind my monitors. Mm. So it's out of the way. Um, nice. Paper towel holder for my workbench, which so the builders can't see this, but I'll, I'll show you. See, I've got this sweet industrial table over there that I just got on the Did you 3D print there. that? <laughs> I did not because it's metal, but there's a paper towel holder magnetically hooked underneath the one side. And I sure as crap nice. 3D printed that. Yeah, so, um, nice. And it's just like there's some fun quality of life things. I made a little 3D print of a uh, a little holder that holds the remote to our ceiling fan so that I can now mm. adhere it to the wall so that now I just have to like hit the button on the wall instead of looking for the remote to turn the light on and off and stuff. So um, right. I- I'm having fun with it. I, uh, I'm excited to start like printing more things. I can see mm. why it's addictive and people spend too much money. I mean, I've already bought um, six different colors of filament now mm-hmm. um because i can't i can't help myself <laughs> <laughs> i have no other excuse because the filament's not nice. cheap it lasts a long time but yeah. like it's an it's a lot of this stuff is an investment that like you know um and i have my silly ladder <clears throat> step ladder set up to hold the spool of filament because uh um because i uh i don't have the spool holder that my friend's gonna send me uh oh, and so like yes, right now okay. it's hanging by a ladder because it works <laughs> And it looks stupid, but it works. <laughs> if it works, it works. It's fine. Yeah, right, right. I mean, eventually, I'll, I'll be happy to get rid of it because I'll have more space. Because that's take that's actually my game design desk that it's set up on. Because I have my okay. my work desk with my computers. I have a game design desk, mm-hmm. and then behind me, I have a game <clears throat> cabinet where that's got all of my like game design stuff in it. And then over there, right. I've got my new workbench for the 3D printer. So right, I'm trying to. I have a fairly small office space, so I try to set it up very ergonomically so that everything's just kind of like where i need it and you know yep so yeah amazing yeah. so that was a long <laughs> rambling story about that but i'm very excited to say the least <laughs> oh I, I i bet i mean it's awesome i the the the, the util the use that you're gonna get out of that and you clearly are getting out of it that's just, my hope great. yeah that's my hope yes yes so um and then as i get better at it it'll be even easier and then when i have friends that are like oh i really need this game component for a, a prototype i'm trying to make i can just like print it for them that's that's mm-hmm. exciting so mm-hmm So, yeah, well, we are going to talk about a topic, too, because that's probably a good thing to do. So. um, So, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a topic. You brought a really interesting topic that I'm I'm excited to talk about, but I'm going to let you intro it uh, because it was your idea. So go right ahead there, sir. Yeah, sure. I wanted to um, focus today, uh, today's episode, uh, focus. I'm choosing the episode to focus. No. Well, I'm going to uh, focus I, today's episode on. That I, no, was very I, I, radio voice the way you said it, though. I liked it. You know, I, I have a podcast background, and so it's like instinctual and like, like, so, right, no, but, right, uh, right. so uh, no, today we're, I'm going to be talking about lightweight games, gateway games, and the importance mm-hmm. of trying to craft games that are thematically and mechanically appetizing uh, to a variety of folks. Um, and, I you know, how that. do you, how do you explore that and how do you kind of work within that frame? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's, oh gosh, like what I love about that topic is just the idea that, you know, I've always been somebody who's really cares about the theme and the mechanics really gelling. Um, Mm. But approaching that from the angle of the idea of making the games interesting to a vast array of people, like I think that Mm -hmm. that is so key. so, I mean, is that like, is that something I'm, I'm guessing you're trying to do with the games you're working on? Is that correct? So, yes, but I, I, I think I have a weird spicy hot take, which is that um, oh, I, okay. think, I think most games attempt to do this without realizing that, particularly when they're um, improving upon their rules and things like that. So uh, 
uh, there, there's a couple things. So Eric Lang recently uh, made a tweet. This I love this tweet. He said Uno is a gateway game, and he did. Uh, I saw that. Yes, yes, and and uh, I I agreed with that. I 100 agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I also think that in general, it's like there's kind of this weird. Uh, there's this weird world of gateway games and what we consider gateway games, depending on how far into the hobby you are. And it, it's kind of strange to me because I, I feel like a gateway game is just what really what it is. It's a game that's between two other games that you consider lighter and heavier. So really, we're right, always right. constantly on this weird gateway game journey into something else, <laughs> potentially, <laughs> is, is how I look at it anyway. Um, and so, right. so the question is, you know, when you're making a gateway game. Uh, who is at that gateway? Who is at that stage where they're moving on mm-hmm. from something into the next game? Um, and and I guess if you're looking at gateway game, it's just like, all right, this is just their first step into the hobby or gaming in general. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I think Uno is a great gateway game example for that. Or even something like The Mind, uh, which is sort of like the hobby yeah. yep. answer to gateway games, uh, in my opinion, um, and where it came from and its origin. But, but yeah, so... Uh, in general, I, I think that, you know, gateway and lightweight games are so many ways to look at those. And I think it's both, it's the, uh, the lens of both mechanics, uh, and then also theme, uh, theme is everything, uh, for, for a lot of these lightweight and gateway games. And it also, it's funny, you'll, you'll see folks in that are, are very into heavier games, scoff at lighter themes sometimes, but they too will get sucked in eventually. We all do. It happens. Trust me. Mm-hmm, uh, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, so, uh, I think one of my my interesting wake up calls to sort of focusing on the s'more is just uh, at a family holiday. I had you know I just finished uh, composition. I had brought it uh, the, the game to my my family. And my and I brought that and a couple other games, and I just brought up the mind. But uh, I pulled some out, and they said, "Oh, what, so what are these games?" And I explained my game. You spell words. You're you're doing these things. You're telling the roles maestros, and they're really interested in that. And then I said. I, then I pulled out the mind. Like, what's this game? Like, oh, in this game, it's there's numbers one to one hundred, and you're just organizing them in an ascending order and they're like i want to play that and i'm like oh <laughs> yep all right and we played the mind all day long and so yep. uh that but that that was an interesting moment because that segued them at future events into wanting to play other games mm-hmm, uh, that mm-hmm. specific game because they were like oh no we're not gamers we don't want to do this and then they played that and then they, they just wanted to start moving on and so that really stuck with me uh, and there were two things about, and I asked them about that. There were two things about it that they really liked um, on, on that box. And the first one was the numbers felt familiar. So in, in terms of like lighter gateweight games, like cards that have really obvious numbers, even like Uno kind of does and all, all yeah, things right. that are I very mean, obvious, color recognition, number recognition, something that just really sticks out. Obviously, it feels familiar, especially if you've mostly been playing with like decks of playing cards your whole life. You're already primed to sort of yeah, yep. step into something that's familiar like that. Um, but then also like the the very light and weird theme that didn't create any sort of mental stress or like or like deep thinking. Like when I look at the mind, I see a rabbit, and then you play it, and there's some shurikens. But it doesn't. I'm not. Right. I'm not stressed about it, right? I'm not like trying I mean, to understand what that is. It's an abstract game with a with a psychic rabbit on it, right? I mean, that's yeah. really like it's an abstract game that they needed to have fun artwork for. It's like Hanabi, right? Hanabi is yeah. an abstract game that they made a about fireworks in quotations right Right. that was it's not though like it's it's not and and so uh you know my 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 take from that you know when i when i started uh, working on this game is that i i wanted to make a game that i felt would be somewhat appealing to uh folks in the hobby but i really wanted to try to focus on making a game that was just going to be interesting for folks that either don't play a lot of games often or new to the hobby or 
uh, just want something they can throw in front of their family or random strangers or just bring with them to social events. Um, and so when I when I was thinking about all these different things, I I, I thought I, I kind of listed a couple things that I thought were very relevant. Um, is are, are the mechanics in the game familiar to an action or a series of actions that you're familiar with outside of the game, right? Um, so th- things like taking something, uh, mm-hmm, giving mm-hmm. something, just really basic basic things, and th- uh, and using language that that match that. So um, there's uh, language is big, and, and this uh, goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like how you write a rule book and how you illustrate things. Uh, there's a big rule, and it's always make the words simpler and easier. Like if you have a if you have a a uh, if you have twenty words to explain an action, make it ten words. If you have ten words to make an action, make it fi- uh, to explain an action, mm-hmm. make it five words. Uh, keep right. condensing that, um, and, and a lot of that comes. And in eventually, really just make it an icon. <laughs> yeah, eventually, just make it. Yeah, true. Uh, a, a lot of that comes into you know lightweight and gateway gaming. Is how do you distill all of that into these like most bare bone essential things that are easily and immediately understood. Uh, and these yeah. are lessons that apply to all levels of complexity, but they're very relevant in that lightweight gateway game category. In yeah, no, that's I, I think that I think to me one of the keys there is it needs to be something that feels very familiar. So like when you go to play it, you're like, oh yeah, I've already played this, right? It's like yeah. it's why gamer trick taking games are so great as gateway games, right? Because if right. if you've ever played a trick taking game every trick-taking game will feel familiar, even though it very well may be very different, right. but it's still, you're like, Oh, I'm taking tricks. Okay. I understand what that is. Right. And, um, yeah, I think that that's, that is a great way to, to draw people in, right. Is to make them feel familiarized because we have to remember that some of those classic card games and stuff, games like Pinochle, like I don't understand Pinnacle. Like it, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. It's it's complicated, yeah. right? There's a yeah. lot happening in it, more so than like some gamery trick-taking games I've played. But yeah. people understand that because it's a classic card game, right? So yeah. you're using a deck of cards, so that uh, there's your familiarity, right? Well, I understand how the cards work. So mm-hmm. you're going to make them a little different in this, right? I mean, hearts, mm-hmm. spades, anything like that. All that's doing is taking a standard deck of cards and then tweaking a couple of rules to make values different, right? Yep. Um, if you put that same game on a, you know, a, a, a hobby gaming deck of cards that wasn't like, you know, uh, that wasn't two through ace, right? It would still, you know, it would still be the same, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, 100%. I you know, it, it, and it all just sort of, it all, so it's interesting, you, you mentioned trick, uh, trick-taking. So uh, I, I've been thinking a lot about trick-taking lately. And trick-taking games are interesting because, like, if, if you understand the, 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 the title trick-taking, you'll understand what the game is. But a lot of folks that I've met in my life that love trick-taking games have never heard of the mm-hmm. words, mm-hmm. the phrase trick-taking in their time, ever. And so, right. like, if I, if I say the game is a trick-taking game, they, like, pause and like, what? And it, it right. throws everything off. It, 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 like, and then I have to like back up and I'm like explaining what a trick taking game is. And, and so it's just, it, it's, it's one of those funny things where it's like, that's, that's, that's a situation where I avoid that title because uh, right, it, it's right. not the familiar term and context of those games. Right. I think that, yeah, if I'm talking to somebody who's a really like only ever played classic card games and being from Michigan, I would be like, it's like, it's, it's a trick taking game, you know, like Euchre or Pinochle or, and, you know, once you start dropping those references, they're like, oh, OK, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then they play the game and they're like, oh, no, this is different than that. But <laughs> Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Bamboozled. Uh, it's not what I thought. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, um, all, all that said, though. So one of one of the the things that I, I find very relevant is so is, is the is the mechanical and um, thematic integration, how you bring all that sort of stuff together. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, in in, light, in lightweight games, especially, it's again, it's all about familiarity, in my opinion. Um, when I think of of sort of lightweight gateway games that I think do very well with groups, uh, a lot of the themes or the elements of the game are easily and readily understood and shared and enjoyed by a large group of people, uh, mm-hmm. or even the the even the in the branding the name is is very obvious so like uh, i think about sushi go a lot that like it's about sushi right right yeah it, you, yeah. you're you you get you collect sushi um it's you're literally collecting sushi and then another yeah. word i know that's very short yes. like oh and, okay it's like sushi to go right that's what it is right uh, and, and so uh, all of all of, all all those factors start connecting and in sushi go you're keeping food which is very relatable <laughs> Right, right. I'm hoarding food, and then people are judging me based on how good my food is. Like, right. That's basically all it is, right? Right. And and so, um, all all of that comes together, and, and even heavier games use this, and, and and they should do it. So, like, it's it's just it's just a matter of how do you build the sequence of things and theme and explanation to be as easily understood as accessible, and 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 just almost instant. You can just jump into it mm-hmm. almost as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those sorts of, those are the sort of things that I think are really important to explore. And I think, um, in general, especially in this last year where you can't do things like dexterity games, that's out the window. You got to do everything on tabletop right, right. simulator, which are also tr- great gateway games. Yes, they are for sure. But you, you, you have to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you make that for people? Um, so, right, you know, right. yeah, uh, <laughs> with, um, with, with building lighter games also, it, I, 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 there's been discussion before I've, I've heard discussions like is is making a lightweight game easier than making a heavyweight or middleweight game? And I, I think that's a, I, I've never been a fan of that discussion because I think it's distracting from from your goals, right? Uh, in any game that you're making, you need, you're assessing the audience. You're assessing what mm-hmm. they want and what they like. You're assessing how to reach them. And then you're assessing how to build that game for them. Um, right, right. So uh, my, my, my experience, my, you know, my research says that, you know, take things like, like as I mentioned before, taking, giving, uh, returning, revealing things like that were mm-hmm. all very relevant things I looked at, and those are things that I crafted into my game that that I'm I'm, I'm releasing, and so right, I, I right. wanted those things to be very structured. Uh, well, additionally, I, I think along, oh, okay, I was just say along that list of things, collecting, right? Like set collection is a well, people don't know it's set collection, right? I'm mm. collecting these things, I'm matching, I'm making pairs, right? I mean. Right. So many games from Go Fish to Rummy have that, right? So those mm-hmm. are that's another really simple thing. So sorry, I wasn't yes. trying to cut you off there. Oh no, you're you're perfect. Uh, there's another interesting thing that that's kind of come up, and this this has been tricky to balance for for lightweight games. So if you have a, a multitude of elements in a lightweight game, which you really probably only want to have, you, you don't really want to have a lot of elements. But if you do, right, you're, right. you're, 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 you're going to be in a situation where. Uh, how do you represent that? How do you represent the different elements in your game in general? Do you use text or do you use iconography and things like that? Um, there's a lot of value in iconography because you're summering up text. You don't have to have text. And then if you also uh, bring your game to multiple parts of the world, you don't have to translate it. It's it's just the icon. You translate a certain set of things. You don't have to translate each individual card, things like that. Um, on the other hand, 
Uh, sometimes having text is very valuable for folks in a lightweight to uh, yep. gateway space. Um, it can be, yes. Yeah, if you just have iconography or if you have a bunch of icons, it is intimidating and overwhelming. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And so when you're able to just read the thing, that is very satisfying for folks. And and again, it's it's finding that right balance. So I would say in general that if you're doing a lightweight game, if you're going to have a focus on iconography or a lot of elements, um, or even a few elements, I if your your audience in the game is trying to think about uh, what to look at, they really don't want to. You don't want to go past I think, what I consider the rule of three. I like having three. If you're going to have a bunch of things that are going on, I would not surpass three central elements or icons to consider and weigh on in a yep. game. Anything more than that, it's going to start to become overwhelming. Agreed. Agreed. And something else I think you can do to solve the iconography issue is you make an icon and then you explain the icon with simple text on the card. Right. So mm -hmm. like I've got, um, you know, like I've got the icon and then, so people, if you're good with icons, right. You say, mm -hmm. okay, Oh, this icon. Right. And then you have the text next to it that explains, play this card and do this thing. Right. Yep. Now, if I'm bad at the icons, I just read, play this card and do this thing. But when I start to get good at the icons, I'm like, oh, okay. I see this symbol. That's a hand. That means yep. take a thing. Right. Yes. Um, the other thing I think that's really, you know, talking about only having a few central things to the game. That's really important. Right. And no, no fiddly. Like you want to try and avoid the fiddly, you know, exclusions, right? Like yes. always this, except in this case, right? That's something I've been as a designer really trying to hammer out of my own designs when 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 myself or a co-designer finds themselves saying, um, well, well, in this case, there's an exception. Like, no, there are no exceptions. Like right. there are no exceptions to the rules. There are only rules. And we just word the rule in a way that, that we don't need that exception. And right. that is actually easier than you think it is if you force yourself. Uh, yes. But the other thing that I, I wanted to say about, I think, for high accessibility is um, never giving the person, like, for a super accessible game, never give them more than two actions on a turn, right? Like, yep. and, and, and then give them a list, right? To say, I can do this, this, or this, pick yep. two, right? Yep. Um, ideally, like a game like Sushi Go, do this thing. Like I do one thing every turn, right? Or mm. even if it's like I have three choices, I pick one, I do it. Um, because that is really easy. I, I, I think sometimes if done wrong, that can be unsatisfying where it's like you just feel like you're never actually doing anything or you can't pull off mm. anything. You know, it kind of breaks mm. my rule of not being able to feel clever as a player, right? Right. If I can't change something, then it's harder for me to feel like I'm being clever. Um, mm -hmm. but also, but also for new game players, that's not always what you want, right? It's for right. them to feel like they can change something and feel clever, you know? So, right. Uh, um, you know, just sort of going off of that and, uh, your, your action list. I am a major fan and a major believer in cheat sheets or your, yes. you know, your little, yes. your little guy. I, I love them. I call them cheat sheets in every game. I, I just think they're so valuable for every mm -hmm. player. This the ability to look at something on your own and reference it. If someone else is teaching the game, you can just ignore them. You can say, all right, what do I need to do? Oh, I do this. Then I do this. Then I do this. Mm -hmm. And it just, um, I have, I have found that, you know, even when I'm like playtesting games, I will often just skip everything. The designer is telling me when they're explaining the game, I read the cheat sheet, I do the things <laughs> and then I figure yep, it out from yep. there. Uh, yep. almost, almost every time. Um, and if, if you're asking yourself, you know, I'm making a lightweight, or if you're thinking I'm making a lightweight game, so it doesn't need that. Be sure about you're, that. Like, I, yeah, I, you're I, wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's still really valuable to have. Like, uh, 
I, I think it's almost essential just just because that is a resource they could have. And when they learn the game, they don't have to pull it out. But but let's right, be real. Like right. you're, if you're, it's it's just it's just in my opinion, it's an essential for almost every mm-hmm. game I can think of. I think it's so valuable to have. Uh, mm-hmm. If and you're you're also offering players the opportunity to like to feel confident and comfortable, which is just very valuable. They don't have to ask questions. They don't have to mm-hmm. pause the game when they're unsure. They can double check that valuable information. And hammering out that valuable information for that cheat sheet is 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 tough, but it's extremely important. Well, I think one of the other things that we're not mentioning that, you know, ties back to something I said earlier is if you have that cheat sheet, um, it, you, you if you have the cheat sheet, I think, and I think we both agree on this, you should be making the goal that um, I can play the game via reading the cheat sheet, right? Like yes. maybe I need to glance at some other rules, but what that forces you to do, interestingly enough, is not have exceptions, right? Yep. Because if I can always do these three things, except in this one really silly case, that can't go on the cheat sheet. That's going to be confusing. So how about we just work around that rule and have that not be a thing, right? Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think that forces you as a designer to think it through in a in a better way, you know, mm-hmm. to to make it less complicated, right? It can be complex. It just can't be complicated. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that what what this does though, and what I, what I think is really important is just, is just the value in in helping and, and giving giving players the opportunity to feel confident about their choices early yes, um, by yeah. making the choices very obvious. And I, I think even heavier games uh, can take from this, like, you know, just like the, the concept of a list of options and a list of yeah, things yeah. that are very clear is so valuable. Um, it, 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 it changes the state of the game. It changes your ability to, to play the game and navigate the game. Um, it might I, be more important in heavier games to have that because it's oh, yeah. so much more a cognitive load when you're doing it. Well, yes, I, I have played some heavy games where you read the rule book and the expectation is to remember what's in the rule book in you're terms like, what? of, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I play, I play so many games or I don't have enough time to memorize the rules. Like when I'm, when I'm mm-hmm. sitting down at a game for a first time, and I think a lot of folks that are in the lightweight and gateway, uh, you know, audience sit down at a game for the first time. They have no context of the game. They have no, they may not have any familiarity of the game. And so none of these concepts are familiar to them. This is like their first steps into the game. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're, you have the rule book and then you're just like, go at it. Well, I don't know how to go at it. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to reference. I don't know how to look at the rule book later. Like, I don't know how to find things in the rule book because I have not experienced a game rule book potentially. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things come together to create a a not fun experience for, for that. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, and this also, you know, I've, I've mentioned rulebook a couple times. Your rule book is your game. <laughs> it is, it is yeah, your game. Yep. Uh, uh, whatever people read in the rule book, that is how they will play your game. Uh, Absolutely. And it's, and it's, it's been funny. And, and, you know, when you see even in lightweight gateway games and any game ever, like you'll, if you have like a, a smaller, lighter game that's been in the family for years, you, you know, everyone has a story. You played as a kid with grandma or grandpa and, they you played it and then late, years later when you're older you pass it out again you realize everything you were playing was wrong <laughs> everything you, <laughs> yep. everything you did was was incorrect um and and i i find that kind of humorous and it goes back to having that cheat sheet right cuz what 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 happens is yep, they read yep. the, you'll read the rules once you'll learn the game and then you don't bust you don't bust those out again you 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 memorize whatever you interpret the rules to be but having mm-hmm. those constraints that make your actions elegant is just going to be so valuable Right, right. Yeah, oh yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, 
So yeah, uh, outside of, of of those sorts of topics, I think you know when we're talking about things like components and and sizing and things like that, I love really big font. I love big font. Uh, big, the bigger the font you can do, the better. The bigger the number, the better. Uh, I'm a big believer in the shiny gold star philosophy. So what? <laughs> what my eyes as a player, and especially in, in lightweight and in smaller games, are going to focus on a set number of things, right? Uh, the more stuff that's out on the table, the the harder it's going to be to focus on my goals. So, so what are my goals? What am I looking at? And what am I always looking at? And that's also going to determine what my actions are, right? And whatever mm-hmm. is in my vision is going to be what I'm going to be honing in on. Um, and so I like it when uh, lightweight games or mechanical games sort of accomplish two things with this. The first thing is um, introducing elements of the game slowly. So Abandon All Artichokes by Emma Larkins does a great job with this. Oh, so uh, good. You you start with a hand in that game of 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 nothing, right? Basically. You're not you're not it's the thing that you don't want. You know you don't want it. Right, right, right. And you get five of them. You get five things you don't yeah. want to start. Yep. And it is drilled into your hand that I, your head that I don't want this. Um and then you get one card and you do one right. thing. And, and then that's you discard. And might be a little trickier, right? Yeah. Right. Might be, but you're you're slowly being introduced to these other elements in the game, mm-hmm. and I love that the slow buildup of of more things helps create familiarity. So, how are you in your game design when you're building for a lightweight gateway audience? How are you slowly introducing things that are either slightly more complex or or maybe some of these other interesting choices you want the players to make? Um, you want the shiny gold star to be there at the beginning. You want their decisions to maybe be a little more limited and constrained because you want the game to teach them as they play. Uh, so the the opportunities for your game to sort of teach like a tutorial almost, how do you introduce that in the beginning of your game as you open things up? That is extremely valuable in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that is a really good point. And I, I didn't even think about that, about abandoned all artichokes. I, I only played that for the first time very recently and, um, yeah, you're right. It is. I mean, it, and it was instantly easy for like my mom to learn who's not as much of a gamer as the rest of us, um, for that reason. So yeah, I do think ramping up complexity as you go is, is really smart rather than just throwing somebody in the deep end and saying, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you good know? luck. Have fun. See, try to make it work. Uh, the mind even, like, I was just going to say like, even myself yeah. and my wife who are, you know, avid game players, I mean, obviously I design games, uh, and mm-hmm. play a lot of them. If you, when I sit down to a game and it's like, okay, you've got 47 options on turn one and you can do this. I'm like, I'm like, I always am like, can I'll go last. And then I'll usually just like watch what other people do and copy some thing that somebody else did because I'm just lost, you know? Um, right. So, so yeah. And if, if I'm playing this many games and doing these, these things all the time and that's happening to me, um, gosh you know what is what's happening to a person who's not that you know you know into it right so 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 the slow build-up is just extremely valuable i think again these are things that are valuable in all games but i i think it's especially important to get this right in a lightweight or gateway game because again your audience might be being introduced to games for the first time they might be interested in a game like this for the first time and uh if you want them to be drawn and you want them to be fascinated you want them to feel confident about their choices and uh, yes. When you when you don't give them an infinite number of choices, that's great. Like the 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 idea <laughs> that giving someone an infinite number of choices or more choices feels smart at first. Like, oh, you can do anything, but that itself becomes constraining and limited. If you have infinite options, you have no options. 
Uh, well, and, and I do think that I do think there are ways around that. I've worked on games before where we give people like there was uh, there are some games I've worked on where like you um, compulsed is a good one. One of the ones that I worked mm-hmm. on with Neil, where you start with all these options mm-hmm. and then by the end you have one option, right? Mm-hmm. Like it whittles itself down. But the way we solve the issue of what the hell do I do on turn one was we give you cards and we tell you what the goal is. Mm hmm. And therefore, you know, like you're just basically just drawing cards and placing them. You're like, well, these are my cards. I might as well draw cards that match with these. Right. That's like, that's the shiny gold yeah, star. Right. So, yeah. Right. That's the thing that says do this thing. And I think another way to solve that in other games that are even more complex that I, I really appreciate this in big, complex games is mm. giving me a secret goal. That's just for me that says, Jason, in this game, you care about extra about this one thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether it's bonus points at the end for doing one thing, something that somebody else isn't doing, right? Those goals kind of give you something to start with, right? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. I can focus on doing this thing. That's that's where I'm going to do. And likely the other people are focusing on doing something else, which balances out the gameplay and also just gives me some hints about what I might want to care about. And the best And the reason I think why it being secret is so important is that if I misunderstood it and I'm still doing stupid stuff, I'm the only one who knows. Everyone else is going to assume that I am aligned (laughs) with my goals. And if halfway through the game, I'm like, oh, I should be doing this. That's okay. Because unless I tell people, they'll never know. Right. Um, So it builds that confidence, like you're saying, outside of being embarrassed, right? Of, oh, wow, Jason's awful at this game. So, yeah. Right. Right. I, you know, you know, speaking speaking of that, I, I love it when um so so a couple of other things I don't like in lightweight or um gateway games, but I think I think it's important to th- think about these things. Um well actually what I ignore the don't like part. These are the things that I think are really relevant in gateway games. Redundancy. I love redundancy in games. Repeating mm-hmm. an element over and over and over and over and over again is just part of the teach. It's part of that that understanding of the game. Um I am not a big believer in the idea that you can't have too much of the same thing. I think you can get away with that a lot in games, uh, especially in lightweight games. Um, you want you want to have that through line with a lot of different things. And uh, mm-hmm. if you think like in, in a rule book, like I've, I've learned countless times, especially in lightweight games, when I'm, when I'm play testing with that audience, you know, you'll say something you think you'll need to say it once and then they will ignore that forever. Yep, yep, uh, yep. And, and so so that repetition is really valuable because it's going to help connect certain ideas and concepts together in both the teach and the gameplay and, and and the resolution as well. All that stuff kind of starts adding up. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, what I I really liked your your, your comment about um, you know in your game you kind of present those shiny gold stars. I love shiny gold stars as I've said before. Uh, how to how to build those and, and how to present those is, is really interesting to think about. Um, you know, in in all games, you you almost always want to illustrate how to win before you talk about anything else. Like having a clear mm-hmm. idea of how you win is just so important for the, for the entire game experience. Um, and in lighter weight games that are probably faster or, or quicker, or even if they're not faster, if they're still lengthy, that is, again, needs to be so obvious. And how do you tie that into the redundancy? How do you tie that into your actions? How do you feel like you're always working towards your goals in a lightweight game? And the answer to me is uh, you are always working to your, to your goals in a lightweight game or a gateway game. Right, right. You're never not doing that. You're always getting something. Um, and may, if you're not getting something, it needs to be just really fun to not get something right. <laughs> that goes right, like, it right, needs, right. needs to be like a really great time, like, like Uno's <laughs> reversal or something like, I, I don't know, but you, you, those, those 
moments where uh, you're participating in a game like this, you always should probably, I feel you should always be achieving something um, because that is going to keep you invested in the game. Everyone is achieving. Everyone is growing. Everyone is interacting. Everyone is getting. Um, yes. Yes. If you're not doing those things, I think that's okay too, but you, you need to be cautious with that. The longer the game, uh, the greater the opportunity for feel bad moments to be really feel bad moments, as opposed to, ah, that was ridiculous, whatever. That was just goofy. Um, right, right. It, it, game length becomes really valuable there. Uh, when you're doing your lightweight and gateway games, when you're thinking about how to build those for an audience, really pay attention to game length. Because again, uh, yes. the longer the game, the, 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 the greater a lot of these elements echo. Mm-hmm, if there is mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of luck, uh, I don't necessarily think that is inherently a bad thing for lightweight or gateway games. However, I do think it's important that players still feel like that they're making decisions in that, that moment of luck, even if it's one or two things, right? Uh, you, you should feel like you had some kind of uh, voice in that luck process. And if it didn't work yep. out, maybe it's fine. Uh, but but again, you have that short time span. You have that goofy theme. You have all those things tying together to sort of create that presence of, oh, this is just this is just part of the fun. And I still made a decision. I still right, participated right. that in my own way. Yeah, I think game length is is a really good point that you bring up there. Um, because, yeah, like I've said this before on the show, like it, I stay away from like playing like six or seven hour games or something like that. You know, like people are like, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. play this Civ game for like five hours. I would never do that. I don't even like two hour games. And this is why, because those games tend to be high strategy, which I love. But mm-hmm. like what comes with loving high strategy is really liking winning. Right? Um, right. And when you play a two plus hour game to come in like last place, like I, I my competitive nature is like, that wasn't great. Like, you know, I mean, like even if in the game, like you said, the game better have been real fun getting there. Right. But a lot of right. those games aren't real fun getting there. Mm-mm. It's fun doing the strategy, trying to win. Right. That's right. that's the goal. And and well, if, maybe if it's a close game, it's like, oh, Matt beat me by a few points. Like, that's OK. But like, right. you know, when you're like dead last in a four player game, it just feels like you were just, you know, awful at it. Right. But if that's right. a 15 minute game and I get dead last, my first thought is like, let's try that again. Or if I get second, I'm like, let's play that again right now. Like, cause I'm, right. I, I want to try that now. I think I can get you next time, you know? Um, so it, yeah, absolutely. The, you, you brought something interesting there. That's another thing that's about lightweight and gateway games. I find to be very prominent, in all of them uh, for the most part, players do not have a good idea of who's going to win. Um, right. Right. It, it, you know, when you're playing a heavier game, there's some of that, but you know, you'll have the classic point tracker around the board. You can right, see right, right. where people are as you progress. You have a good idea. Um, the more of that you have hidden, the more players feel confident about their choices and actions. They mm-hmm. feel good about their decisions. They're not just feeling bad. They're not looking at something saying, Hey, you're last, you know, like they're, right, right, they're right. that doesn't exist. And so, uh, even if it, like even if the game is about collection, right, and someone has a thousand cards in their hand and you have ten cards in their hand, if you're offering elements in that game that say, "Oh yeah, you may have less cards, but you're gonna get, I don't know, you're gonna get a a, a golden pumpkin because you did this thing," you know, right, right, that right. that's going to be really relevant. Um, so how how do you create those moments in the game where you know that again that confidence isn't lost? And I, I think not knowing who right, is right. winning throughout the game is going to be very valuable. Uh, keeping that, that, helps that a lot. yeah, yeah, it helps a lot. And uh, if if you don't have that, then making sure the game keeps people close to one another, where 
you know, at any moment, right, like right. someone's going to, the game's going to end, but it's just always tense. So there's always that, that back and forth that's going on. Um, those are two mm-hmm. different paths to do it, but I'm definitely a believer that in, in smaller, lighter games, you shouldn't have a strong idea of who's winning the entire time. Right. Yeah. One of the things I did in the game into the black forest that I designed was you, you get to keep <laughs> these cards when you score them, right? Like, so it's a trick taker, but like when I score, <sighs> Um, I actually, if I win, I actually uh, use my card for scoring, but if I lose, I actually get my card back, right? So that kind of self-balance is there. But right. the cool thing is when you take that scorecard that you've won, you put it face down, right? And the value is running over from two to 11. So if you have a huge stack of cards and I have half a stack, I still could be schooling you with the half stack of cards if right. they're the best cards, right? Right. Um, so I, on one hand, if I'm losing because I have, but I have, you know, twice as many cards as you, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm winning, right? This is great. But it's not right, and so that right. you know that does keep people engaged. Yeah, in a game when when it's obvious that somebody is completely getting demolished, like you feel bad, right? Like that's they're probably going to have less fun, like yeah. then because because a lot of times, what helps you win the game are the things that make the game fun. If a game is designed correctly, right? Like if it's mm-hmm. a bad game, then maybe not. So so being those those things are so inherently locked together in a in a good game design. Um, it, it seems to me obvious that if you were losing really bad, you're probably not having a good time because you are mm-hmm. not getting all the options everyone else has. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I, I wanted to hit on uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is your game creating memorable interactions mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, interactions are really big in lighter games, like your player to player experience, in my opinion. Um, so if you're, one of the things that I, I love in a lighter game, and I found that a lot of folks that enjoy lighter games do, is when you can just play it over again, or you have this really funny story about a funny thing that happened in the game. Um, and this sort of goes back to, like, how do you distract from who's going to win? How do you take away from those things? And, you know, time length is valuable and that you don't care as much, probably. Uh, having a little mm-hmm. bit of wackiness in it can be always really, really fun. Um, but, you know, comical or enjoyable or satisfying moments that the table shares, even if they're playing against each yeah, other, yep. are so valuable in those games. So, so valuable. Uh, because they're going to come back for those moments uh, yes, every yes. single time. Um, you know, I, I consider this to be a gateway game. There's a game that, I, and it's not a goofy theme, but it's a game called Skull. Uh, I, I, I mm-hmm. love this game. It's a bluffing game, basically. And it's so simple. You have four cards. You put one down. One of them is a bad everyone bids and then you reveal stuff and based on whatever number you bid if you're the last person to bid you reveal stuff if you reveal a bad card you lose one of your cards that's the game um mm-hmm. and the the memorable moment I, I like you know when you think you're about to get something and then you flip over that bad card that someone put down and you're like oh my gosh that never leaves <laughs> and you and you want to capture that in every game like even if yep, yep. you lost it was so ridiculous and like amazing that it happened that you're going to want to recapture that and so i think lightweight and gateway games are really good at making losing or uh interactions that might feel bad in a longer heavier game i think they're really good at making them feel fun and if you can accomplish that in your lighter game i think that's gonna it's gonna make it all the better um so like in bittersweet i have chocolate covered vegetables uh my favorite thing in the world is when someone picks them up and they're like oh my god (laughs) 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 and they're like i just drew the olives and it's like no and and they 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 have that moment and they're sharing it with the table. Yep. yep <laughs> like yep. it's very rare that folks are quiet. They're like, I got this obvious thing that's like, ugh, and they're they're, they're telling everyone about it. Um, right, right. And, and so like those are just really 
Uh, th- those are the kind of moments that I, I want games to create, especially in lighter and gateway games. I want them to have that experience. And I think that experience is going to come up more because they just, just the, in that time span, you're going to have to cram in a lot more fun. You're going to have to cram in that player right. interaction. You're going to have to cram that into this distilled few things and still have those memorable experiences. And yes, uh, lightweight yes. and gateway games are really good at that. Yes, yes. And on that note, let's let's talk a bit about Bittersweet uh, before we run out of time here, uh, because sure. this this game, for sure, the idea is that it falls right into this conversation we're talking about. So, so yeah, let's uh, tell everybody a bit about Bittersweet. Yeah, uh, Bittersweet is a two to four player game with uh, actually I just finished up a solo mode for it. So I guess I should call it a one to four player game. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, the, the, the premise of the game is you are all sharing a box of chocolates and you all have preferences of what you like and don't like. Um, and you're reaching into the box to grab these individually wrapped chocolates. You don't know what they are to try to find chocolates you find yummy and avoid chocolates you find yucky. Uh, this was inspired by me being gifted a box of chocolates without any reference to what the chocolates were. And I'm a... <laughs> I'm a massive baby when it comes to chocolates and there's a, I don't like gooey chocolates. And so there was one chocolate I found was crunchy and I bit into it and it was gooey. And I was like, Oh no, no. And so that (laughs) moment stayed with me. And I was like, I want that to be in a game. Um, So of having that experience of taking random chocolates. Uh, And and so that's, that's kind of started. uh, uh, The game has chocolate covered vegetables, which nobody wants. And that's to sort of simulate the idea that, oh yeah, these are bad. You don't want these. Um, And they tend to have devious effects that sometimes you can flip around. But uh, in a two player game, you lay out 20 face down cards, which are the chocolates. You get Mm -hmm. two preferences. So for example, I might find milk chocolates yummy and I might find creamy chocolates yucky. Uh, and which changes the value of the of, of what you're looking for and what you think might be valuable. Um, and then everything's face down. You don't know what anything is. And you have three actions. You can take a chocolate. You can reveal a chocolate, which is flipping it face up in the box. Mm-hmm. Or you can return a chocolate where if you have a chocolate in your hand you don't like, you can put it back in the box. That's it. Um, and so taking chocolates can be really good because you're getting more chocolates. You're getting more points. But there's a lot of risky chocolates in the box, like the vegetable. Right, right, right. Revealing chocolates can be really good because, oh, you're revealing something without taking it, which means you could avoid something that's dastardly. Right. But you're giving information to other players, potentially, if you don't take that chocolate. Right. Assuming um, you could reveal a chocolate that they want, right? Yeah, exactly. And they're going right. to take it. Yeah. And uh, I forgot to mention, players take two actions a turn of these three actions. So you can take oh, two cool. of the same okay. action twice. or So you could uh, actually th- reveal a card and then immediately take it before someone yes. else could. But cool. it might be something you don't want or you find yucky. Right, and right, right. You got to make that call. Um, and, and so some chocolates have on reveal abilities, which are little quick things you can do that just give you an extra bonus. Since, again, if you could just take chocolates, everyone would just take chocolates. So it's trying to to balance out that choice of how you want to interact with the box. Once, mm-hmm. uh, once the round ends, players count up all the points. They add up the big numbers on the, the top left corners of their chocolates. Uh, and then they count, they, they, they go through their, their yum and yucks. And there's a couple things that I, I, I try to do with this. Uh, each card has two icons and an illustration. Um, and mm-hmm. all three of those things are what you look at. So, uh, you might find for some reason, you might really like heart shaped chocolates. That's what you find yummy. You look at the, the shape of the chocolate to determine if it's a heart shape and there it is, it's done. And then you have the two big icons that tell you, uh, what coating it has. And in this game, there's milk crimson uh dark and white 
And then there's texture that all chocolates have, which is uh, solid and creamy. And so right. all yep. of those things are on the chocolates. You resolve those things, you get the points. And so it's a very, nice. it's a, yeah, I, I, I tried to make this, I tried to make it as simple and gateway-ish as I could. I really wanted to accomplish that goal. I really also wanted it to be that sort of small box game that you can bust out with your family or, yeah, yeah. you know, on date night or something like that. If you forgot mm-hmm. to buy real chocolates, you could buy my game instead and <laughs> bust that out. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, I've, I think that the best part of working on this game has just been uh, the graphic designer messaging me saying, you know, She's like, Matt, I hate you because now all I want to do is eat chocolate. Like I'm working on this graphic design and I'm eating chocolate because of this game and it's so messed up. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm funny. sorry. I eat chocolate a lot too now. I'm sorry. Um, oh yeah. gosh. The game, the game, uh, the game sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and yes, and de- definitely fits into that gateway um gateway space like listening to you describe the game i'm hearing all the notes of the things we talked about which is awesome Mm -hmm. yes (laughs) you clearly are trying to do what you're what you're saying so that's great Um, i hope so (laughs) in the the game is on kickstarter uh it's doing pretty well so far i believe yeah from the last time i checked earlier so yeah we're 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 heading there we got 20 days to go we're over halfway funded so that's always great um i you know kickstarter is always a scary beast of uncertainty until mm-hmm. you reach it what is. you're trying yep. to reach, but but I I always consider it a learning experience. I, I mean I love I love what Kickstarter is. I love the opportunity it provides. I I I just like learning things personally, and so like win yeah, or yeah. lose on Kickstarter, you're you're always going to take away from it, and you'll be able to deliver something better next time as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well. Um. So yeah. So builders, uh, check that out. Check it out. Um. Composition. Uh. Matt's last game. Last game. Uh. Lots of fun. Very cool. Um, you can, I think, check that out too on your website. Is that still there on your website? Yes, on my website yes. at ku.games, C-O-O cool. dot games. Yeah, check that out too. Another fun, easy, easy to learn game that, that's, uh, that's a good time. Um, yeah, so so I, I encourage everyone to check that out. And uh, also, you can see some videos of Matt eating the chocolate-covered vegetables, <laughs> uh, which I highly recommend. Because again, to be a real designer, Matt said, "Well, I have to, I have to sacrifice uh, my, I gotta... <laughs> my, uh, my innards. I feel like really trying I... to eat chocolate covered." Oh, okay, okay. So, do, do I do I have time to tell you the tier list? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. Let's do. All that. right. So, all right. So, uh, first of all, chocolate covered snap peas and broccoli, amazing, mm-hmm. really good. Like, like oh, chocolate covered snap peas right. are good. Chocolate covered eggplant is like scary good. Like it's like shockingly good. Like I was, I was like, "What? This is weirdly good." Uh, chocolate covered garlic. Okay, the way I ate it was not good. However, I learned that like there's garlic festivals that do like uh, like chocolate covered roasted garlic, and apparently it's amazing. So I need to try oh, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. After that, it's all downhill. Uh, chocolate tomato, chocolate covered tomato, white oh! chocolate covered tomato is not good. Um, oh, I, well, you know, worse than, I guess I, I was thinking the onion might be the worst, but no, chocolate on tomato sounds worse to me. I mean, it's it was weird. It, I guess it wasn't that bad. It was just weird. Now, chocolate covered onion was interesting. Like I didn't think it was terrible, but it just it just the onion was so strong in that chocolate. You know, it just wasn't it wasn't great. Um, chocolate covered turnip was I don't know why it's so low on the tier list, but I just I just didn't like it. It wasn't bad. Right, it was kind of right. bland. Uh, and the worst on the list for me, chocolate covered oh, okay. olives were a nightmare oh, yeah. for me. Olives I, are awful. 
I, uh, I think, yeah. in general. Plus, they probably were gooey when you ate them, right? Which I know you said you don't like gooey chocolates. Yeah, it was the texture plus the olives. It was it was a nightmare. So, yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, so that's that's just the uh, the background. So if you do intend on eating any of the chocolates in this game, that's my tier list so you know what you're getting <laughs> into. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um well, Matt, thanks again for for hanging out. Um this was a really fun discussion uh about gateway games and, and bittersweet and all of that. Yeah, thank you Jason so much for having me. I had a blast. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listeners out there, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can go to buildinggamepodcast.com. Check out our Discord channel there. Um, you can go to uh, email us, buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770-TELL-BTG. You can also find us, of course, on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Matt is uh, at Matt, and Koo is C-O-O. And feel free to check out Bittersweet on Kickstarter. Uh, that's there for the next uh, 20 days or so. So about the next 15 days after this was published. So g- give that a uh, look. Like I said, uh, his last game composition, lots of fun. Uh, and this doesn't sound any different. So I'll definitely be checking this one out myself. Uh, but until next time, good night. Have a good one all. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 tell BTG. Please don't use the email. <laughs>